Kaya Drive with Seaswear, Monday to Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. on Kaya 959. Join the studio by Musi Maimani. Been with us actually for the past hour and 20 minutes. Uh, and so if you've got any questions, please send them through. We'd love to hear from you. The first one uh, from Motabo. Why didn't Musi Maimani read the books about black consciousness and Steve Beagle before he joined the DA or whilst he was there? No, it's, 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 it's not that I didn't. Uh, I, I read a lot. I, I, I consider myself someone who reads as widely as possible. Uh, a, lot, a, a lot of the work that you've got to do as, as leading an organization is not only to understand its positioning in society, but it's also understanding what society needs. So I spent a lot of time. And the Reformation Project was inspired by a lot of writing and there was a lot of conflict in that. Mm. But I'm grateful. You know, for me, I don't sit here with a hatred of the DA. I sit here with having had an experience that helped me lead. It gave me the privilege to learn South Africa in the way that it is. And now I feel like I'm working on something better, something that will work for all the people. That's why we started One South Africa, because I realized that it isn't is missing in South Africa. Mm. You know, I think our politics are for black people, for white people, or we need something that unites the people of this country in the center and drives the reforms that I'm talking about. So, so yeah, it's it's been a continuous work. Okay, now here's my thing, and this is where I kind of agree with him, right? Because as you put it, you are a fairly astute guy, also having studied economics. These things would not have come as a surprise to you. I mean, literally the first thing they'll teach you in economics is about scarcity. Mm. And at the time, you were 35. So your views had actually been uh, very well solidified at the time. So what's more likely is that perhaps you didn't find that there was a space where you could articulate yourself or express yourself within the DA with these kind of views mm. than it is that you just suddenly became more... Um, Conscious after the DA. That's what I would think. But we'll have that discussion later. Mongeni in Mertin. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Your line's a bit bad, so let's try and get through the question quickly. Ah, Mongeni, hey, your line's terrible. Kakiso in Rondebolt. How are you guys? We well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, my brother. Good, good. Good, good. It's very simple. We are campaigning and all that. But we are missing, as you spoke to your last sentence before the ad, is that the people and the politicians are not connected. And locally, people are not attending things that are supposed to be done by their politicians or communal meetings that are supposed to be the bridge between the politicians and their manifestos. Mm. How are we going to solve that economically? No, Ndati, you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. That articulates the center of the problem in this country. But let me talk about local government because the drafters of the, of the white paper on local government that, that takes its instructions from the constitution as to what the job of local government is, foresaw that we needed to have stakeholder engagement in this regard. And in many ways, they set up systems that could achieve that. For example, you can't write an IDP at local government without having heard from the community. You 
you've got ward-based committees that sit, that are designed in such a way to help guide what happens in a ward, in ward-based planning, etc. The error that we've had is that local government capture will make state capture look like a picnic, I can tell you that today, because the political parties have captured the state at a local level, so much so that all of those systems have now become privatized for the use of the political party, that if you are a branch secretary, you serve on the branch, on the street committee, etc. So the the rest of the citizenship in that community feels it's disengaged and it filters itself even at a national level where even on a constituency based model every uh, there are constituency offices these become political party offices and people can't participate so to reset the system i know i've stated it before but this idea of direct elections and a constituency based model becomes fundamental to achieving that and then second to that particular issue it's about following the legislative uh, provisions that allow for people to participate and then thirdly one of the things that have become tough and i and i want to speak uh, now part of my work isn't just running one essay but as a business south african who is black in this country part of the difficulty is that because some of the systems at local government have become so privatized for political purposes that it undermines the very genuine black business that is out there. And if we're going to enhance local economic development at the manner that it ought to, we need to continue to ask ourselves the tough questions, which is how do we make the process much more transparent? How do we invite businesses that are contributing? And how do we democratize systems so that more and more people can participate? Because at this point in time, when you find out about a tender is after it's already been completed by someone else. Let's use the digital space to democratize so that everybody has access. Even Nokoko must be able to know on her cell phone that actually there's a tender to provide X, Y, and Z and let the people compete for it because I think we'll get a diversity of businesses participating in that. So you are correct in that, you know, local government is where service delivery actually resides. Uh, And more than that even, for me, I'm always perplexed when I see people campaigning at a local uh, government election on national issues. Mm. Uh, in the news bulletin that Kirile Huma was reading now, we heard John Stuyenison talking about uh, if we elect a certain mayor that is their candidate, then there will be power in Johannesburg, for example. This is not something you can deliver yeah. uh, <laughs> at local <laughs> level. As we've seen the city of Johannesburg yeah. go back and forth with ESCOM thinking, hey, we've got surplus power. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And it's it's a, it's a lack of vision for local government a and b it's just a basic failure to follow the law to 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 me i think local government is where the rubber hits the road it's you've got to allow for the actual implementation of of programs let's make sure the roads work let's make sure you know uh, water is coming out of a tap let's make sure that crime is dealt with and and i think to me if you gave Musi Maimane an opportunity to run this country, uh, one of the things I want to focus strongly on is understanding, let's move away from the provincial focus. Let's get back to strong cities. Because at this point in time, our cities are weak and they have a direct impact on economic development. Let's build strong cities. So at one day, the very competencies that you're talking about we could bring them down to local so that actually Joburg would have an opportunity to run a 
to have a degree of energy supply. And the reason you want that is because they can use rebates for anyone who diversifies their energy, uses solar, etc. Then the municipality has got control over those things. So I do think to me the biggest error we've made is that we've made local government almost we've put in layers. That's division three. And it's a, it's a fundamental mistake. That ought to be the primary center of governance. Okay. I'm sure you'll also agree, though, when I say it is easier to be opposition than it is to govern. It's easier to criticize than it is to put in place uh, plans and measures and means that will curb whatever it is that people are criticizing. Uh, and to even use an economic term, everything based, you know, is dependent on incentives. A part of the reason why local government functions in the way that it does, a part of the reason why our politics in the country are the way that they are, is because our economy is structured in such a way that even the politicians themselves come there needing. Sure. And, and so when you're in that situation, it's very easy for somebody to take advantage of you. You spoke about capture earlier on. That's not about to change anytime soon. So how would you then propose to change the dilemma that we're in without overhauling the entire system? And then if you were to overhaul the entire system, how do you think you'd go about doing that? Yeah, like I, I think that's a great question. And I, and I think... Part of the problem is that we've become captured hegemonically by the way the ANC conceived the state. So much so that we think we always need these three tiers. One of the big reforms that I think we need to talk about in this country is do, do we actually need all the provinces? And that's a massive debate. And I tell you why. That's more than an ANC discussion, though, because that is a constitutional discussion. Yeah, fair, but yes, carry but, on. But remember, we, we hold to be true that our constitution is the supreme law of the land. But it doesn't make it such that we can't engage it so that we can improve it for future generations, right? Like we can't just simply be sitting and going, we can't amend this thing. So so that's an important question. Why? Because I think our bureaucracy is increased. It adds another layer of complexity that doesn't resolve our problems. Secondly, I think one of the things that we've got to think hard. So when you reform not only how we structure the state, how we elect public officials, is how do we appoint people to public service? Because if we just keep the state capture mechanism by just simply saying, you bring your own people, deploy them there, all parties do that, you minimize the ability of the state to serve the citizenship in general. As far as the economic issues are concerned, there are some real questions about, and yes, I hear your point about incentives. Incentives are but one chapter of the issue. But what about stimulus as a question? You know. Um, the state spends, at least it deploys 1.3 trillion rand annually in terms of the budget it gets tabled. How much of it do we use to stimulate microenterprise in key sectors of society so that we can see economic activity there? I've just come back from Mfuleni in the community there and I've seen some great businesses, to be honest with you. And you might look at them and say, but they're in the informal sector. Well, if they're in the informal sector, you just have to formalize them. But in truth, they could benefit with capital that could ensure that we could uh, strengthen what those companies do and who they hire. Welcome back to Kaya Drive. We join in the studio by Musi Maimani, founder of uh, the One South Africa movement. Uh, and we're taking all your questions. Give us a shout if you've got any. 86 In Tsako. Good afternoon, uh, Mr. Chize. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, uh, Mr. Maimani. Hey, I, I, have a, I have a funny question here. Uh, what did you do with systematic racism while you are still in the leadership of the DA? And then, what have you noticed while you are still in the DA that this is nothing but racism? 
And then what did you do? What steps did you take to address such? Because it's still happening in private, mostly in private sectors. Mm. You find a black man and a white man doing the same job, but any different salary. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Nzako. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nzapo, thanks for the question. I mean, systemic racism, as you correctly put it, is not only a function of a political party. It's also a function of our society and the history we've come from. But let me give you just a few interventions. Like I said earlier, the first is we insisted that everybody in the organization would at least take a pledge uh, and every public rep had to sign it simply because I wanted to indicate to people that we had no tolerance for racism and the incidents that took place. Secondly, we had to answer the second question. And this is something that I think I didn't do enough at and I wanted to do, which was to say, how do we ensure that when you talk about members of parliament who who are black, uh, how do we work harder at making sure that we bring out more and more into the list? And and we worked we worked hard to a, to a point, but we could have done more. Um, lastly, I think that when you talk about systemic issues, it's about what we did in government. And I think uh, you can look at all the municipalities that when when we were in government, when I was there, we worked hard. You can ask Patricia DeLille herself. One of the things I insisted on is that we couldn't have two Cape Towns. We needed to have a Cape Town that uh, that works for everybody. So issues around spatial planning, issues around making sure that people could not be defined, that their living circumstances would not define, would not be synonymous with their race. That when you look at poor service delivery, you could quite comfortably say, oh, that's a black area. And if you look at great service delivery area, you could say, well, that's a white area. You got to address those. And then I think when it comes to corporate South Africa, always signaling that, you know, many people have a debate about triple B, double E, and I hear that. But what I want to argue is to say that it's like triple BW is like a diet. If I came to someone and I said, I've got cancer and someone said to me, well, here's a diet you should take. And if the diet doesn't work to the full extent that it does, you don't just stop and say, okay, now I'm cured of cancer. No, the cancer of inequality in this country still exists. And we have to work hard at making sure that economically we come up with redress. We make it possible that patterns of ownership are diversified and when I was leader of the DA, that was one of the policies we advanced for, and I never shied away from it. It still wasn't dealt with adequately enough, especially on the issue of Cape Town, for example. There still is two Cape Towns. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, Kanil, we're going to be a bit late, but I have to jump on this, mm-hmm. right? Because you're a business person, and before the ad break, I said we would touch on the whole business note. When we're speaking about one inequality in the country, as the first thing, and also... Uh, the structural racism that we suffer. Mm. Even the narrative needs to be looked at. In that, if you are doing business with government and you happen to be in the, in the Western Cape, for example, there doesn't seem to be any stigma attached to that. But if you're in any other province and you do business with the government, yeah. already is a stigma because people then go, oh, tenderpreneur, et cetera, and so on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll even use the example of uh, people... Who do I mean? You still you, you. I don't need to tell you about the story. For example, with uh, Shimza, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shimza, he owns a restaurant uh, that he builds with his own money. Uh, 
and in his defense, he was saying, well, the reason I, I was in a position to be able to do that function with the government is because <laughs> there's very few restaurants in Tembisa that can offer that kind of service. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm not going to get into the merits of that particular argument per se, but I will say this. If you want to do business with ESCOM, for example, mm. ESCOM's payment terms are 60 days. So if you want to supply them with, let's say, coal, you need to literally have 50 million or a facility that could then help you do that. Very few black people have access to that facility. Yes. And even if they were to get assistance from government, already that would be looked at under a very, very, very dim light. And people who want to scrutinize that transaction and go, what's happening over here? Yeah, sure. I mean, firstly, you are preaching to the choir here in the sense that the reformation of capital is long overdue. From this perspective, this is not just a South African conversation. It's a global conversation. How do we give access to people who sometimes are have got asset inequality because you go to any bank the bank tells you where is collateral so that we can use this thing we have to address that as a public good that's why i always advance the jobs and justice fund it was one of the policy issues i've i worked on to say if we put a, a fund that is able to give access to capital to citizens who weren't able to you can begin to address some of these challenges especially when it comes to issues of serious money but you need to invite even the private sector to be able to drive it forward in a much more aggressive manner to give access, particularly in our banking sector and financial services. But to the perception issue, I, I maintain that part of fixing it is a partnership between what is what business leadership in South Africa is doing and what government is doing. We've we have not restored the dignity of black business. I, I think I think we have not done a good enough job because also. We haven't also asked ourselves the hard question about the dignity of a black child who's coming through school. To be honest with you, we've got to ask better of ourselves. And we need leadership that is able to stand up publicly and say, it's to de-racialize this issue in some sense, in that way, is to be able to give dignity to people and say, you are a competent businessman. I want my kids, I want, I want young people in this country to pass at a higher rate. We've got to invest in higher education so that we get graduates who are coming out and can compete with anybody so that we can deal with the stereotypical prejudicial attitude that says because you are of this color, you must be less than. And if you are doing the same amount of work as someone else, you must be corrupt. Mm-hmm. We, got, we, got, we need leadership in this regard and, and, and we need strong leadership. Well, the show's about to end in 14 minutes and we join in the studio by Musi Maimane. But yeah, when the show does end, Kaya Biz will begin brought to you by Kukum Fupi. Kujan. We are well, thank you. What's coming up on the show? Unless you got questions for Musi Maimani yourself, you can, you know, shoot. I'm, 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 I'm intrigued. The conversation's been going well so far. Are, are you in good hands with, with Sizwe? Uh, as I say, he doesn't. He doesn't. He asks his questions with a smile. He tells me, mm. but they're not easier. But it's been good. It's been good fun <laughs> to be here. It's, it's, you know, we need these conversations. Yeah, uh, I'm glad it's not just sound bitey. A few minutes, we've had time to talk about many things. So I appreciate it. Exactly. On yeah. Kaya Biz, an interesting thing that we've been doing is speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly those within you know the local in communities and municipalities, yeah. and we've really been trying to gauge what they think as to how elections and political parties or the management of municipalities need to assist um, their local economic environments. And I'm I'm keen to to hear your thoughts on that because naturally entrepreneurs need capital and access to markets and you know an ease of doing business but what are your thoughts uh, yeah look, look it's certainly and i was saying earlier one of the things we've been working hard as as an impact fund is to try and make sure that we can invest in those communities but even beyond the capital thing when we what what is a municipality's capability of doing mm. I, uh, firstly i think things like zoning we often ignore that those things take time 
things like title deeds. Yes. You know, someone may run a business and establishment that they don't have title for. That creates other long-term problems. And then, like I saw today in businesses, both in the very informal, like when you find someone and I'm not suggesting that that's all the businesses you got to look at but there's no roofing over it, there's no infrastructure around mm. it and local government, if it's going to stimulate local economic stimulus, not only is it provision of infrastructure but it's making sure that as I saw, if you go to Villagazi Street and you go have a drink there you want to make sure the street at Villagazi is working, the lights are on, the water is running, exactly. otherwise those businesses will be shut down as a matter of time So, so I think particularly for business communities yeah. it's not just licenses and capital and all of that i accept all of that but it's about making sure they get access uh, to a local government that works for them completely agree will we be seeing you at Vilagazi street soon i that's, was there i was there over the weekend <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just on a on a lighter note well i'm intrigued by that and that's definitely one of the points we'll build up on later this evening Cizwe. um Especially in light of the fact that we're trying to make sure that South Africans do exercise their democratic right to go out and vote on Monday. It is a public holiday, but one that we need to make adequate use of. So we will be speaking to Melani Olweni again. Uh, I guess just getting perspective this time around in terms of the impact that local municipalities do have on businesses, particularly when it comes to small and medium enterprises. Uh, big businesses we do see do play a very significant role in terms of employment, um, but it is quite important that we also nurture the opportunities for medium-sized enterprises to also actively participate in the economy. And then an interesting story as well. You might recall earlier this week, uh, Destal, which is the manufacturing company that produces quite a wide range of alcohol beverages. But Savannah is probably one of their most popular brands. Mm -hmm. They highlighted that they have a shortage of Savannah uh, purely because of the fact that they're not failing to manufacture goods, but it's a concern about the overall supply chain, getting the glass uh, containers and bottles to actually ensure that they can actually store their particular product in those glass bottles and then get them to consumers. Well, get this. Savannah is not the only alcohol beverage that we might see shortages of, but there's an overall concern that there will be a shortage of supply as we head into the festive season. Again, on the back of supply chain concerns in South Africa. And this also comes on the back of the conversation we had just yesterday about the truck drivers, right? Mm -hmm. Shortage of skills, ongoing strikes, uh, tension between South African drivers, raising concerns about foreign nationals. And this, as we discussed yesterday, does raise some headlines and concerns about the supply chain overall in South Africa. That together with the global supply chains we've seen uh, supply chain concerns we've seen globally and of course the higher petrol price all exacerbate the situation. So we'll be peeling back at the many layers of that and what it means for different sectors and spheres of the South African economy who or which have been struggling in terms of a recovery post the pandemic. So it just seems as though we're starting off on a back foot trying to recover and yet there's this layer of increased challenges that we also need to face. And this is actually a direct consequence of the lockdown. Yes. Uh, essentially, when you run a glass manufacturing factory, right, you need to keep the furnace on. You, you never turn it off. Mm. So those furnaces last about 10 years. Uh, you turn it on, it keeps burning, and then you just got to keep feeding it silica, etc. and so on, right? Because the more efficiently it runs and the more efficiently it burns, the quicker you can make glass. So even during lockdown, those guys still had to keep the furnaces running, but they weren't producing anything. Uh, and there was an idea to carry on making the bottles and then store them at a warehouse. But the problem with glass is, especially when it goes to beer, it needs to be made to specification. The color of the glass is also really important mm -hmm. between the green and the brown bottle. Uh, and so you need to have the product in there before you can can it. 
so it becomes very difficult. It becomes cumbersome as well to store glass because it breaks very easily. Mm. And that's why we're faced with this problem now. Yeah. Raising a lot of uh, concerns, as you say. And I think, as you mentioned, um, a direct consequence of the lockdown as well as the stop start uh, in terms of the various um, 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 levels of lockdown in South Africa. So big concerns uh, and I guess ramifications that we didn't anticipate, but that we need to deal with. Um, whether we get it right or wrong, I'm not too sure. But definitely calls for some serious action to be taken. So December is going to be without alcohol. <laughs> People like us who don't drink <laughs> makes no difference. But <laughs> hey, oh man, getting back to our conversation, Boosie, we've got some voice notes here. Uh, and maybe let me play the first one. Hi guys, great conversation with Musi. I'm Larata here from Joburg. Musi, quick one from me. Um, it's no secret that you and John Steenhazen were good friends during your time at the DA. Um, but it also seems as though the relationship might have been dented um, as you were leaving the party. And I've always wondered, do you somewhat feel like he turned on you? Like he betrayed you um, in his efforts to become the next leader? leader of the party um, because he spoke quite publicly about um, the good friendship that you guys had um, and then all of a sudden jiggy jiggy you know he's on the other side um, so I just wanted to know what your thoughts or your feelings around John Steenhazen are. Before you answer that I've got another one also about the DA and then maybe you can answer him back to back. Uh, hi Cesar. Hi Mr. My Mind. I just have uh, two questions. Uh, what is the DA like when you were there? And what's the DA now that you left? What's the difference? And another question, uh, I for one, we municipality which is governed by DA. And yo, our tax and rates yo, are skyrocketing. So I've seen people from Tuana, they also complain about that when it comes to electricity and water, that is expensive. Like, is it something that ETA is on a or what? Mm. And to add to that, for example, Google and I were having a discussion yesterday about how, yes, when you conduct surveys, people seem to be satisfied with the performance of municipalities that are mostly led by DA. But you find that those people are very different people than the ordinary South African. It's a homogenous group and they are possibly high income earners. So with them, it wouldn't be an issue because it's also, it's not too difficult to deliver services in Clifton. Whereas, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know what I'm getting at. No, I I, I get it. I I understand where citizens are at. Um, Look, uh, John and I worked together. He was the chief whip when I was there. and, And it became common cause that towards the end, he was one of the people that stopped working with me. He was one of the people started working against me. And therefore, in my humble opinion, um, he he turned in that regard. uh, And the difference that it has brought is the fact that the things that I thought we all believed in, the the vision that I held for a South Africa for all, is not something that he shared. And clearly now he's very comfortable in a role of pontificating that South Africans is colorblind, putting up posters in Phoenix that... um, that divide us on racial lines. It's, 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 it's all of that. And therefore, I think the less said about that, the better I'm really focused on, 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 on where we're going now. Um, we've got a big, big, big... The enemy is not the DA. The enemy is about reforming the entire South African electoral system. Okay. Now, not that I'm defending John Steenhuisen, right? Yeah. Hear me very well. But to, I guess, add to the second question that we asked about the inner workings of the DA. 
if we gave you benefit of the doubts whenever the party in the DA stepped out of line, you as a federal leader will always say, well, there's some things you can't control. Why can't John be given benefit of the doubt then when the party steps out of line? Look, because I think, I don't think in this particular instance it was a stepping out of line. I think the question more succinctly put said, what was life like when I was there? Mm. We were pursuing a, a non-racial South Africa, South Africa where all races could work together. So, so a poster under that type of scenario would have been an error because it is inconsistent with what you are trying to do. The party today simply says we are focused narrowly on particular things. They are pursuing the voters that they let move to the Freedom Front Plus. So naturally, the posters and all of the statements that are emerging come out of a consistent bias within the organization itself. So to me, I think that it was just, it's, uh, to use a biblical phrase, out of the heart, really the mouth does speak in this instance. And so if somebody were to say the reason why those voters moved to the Freedom Front Plus is because of the policies that you were trying to push for while you were still in leadership. And even then, somebody could then turn around and say, and before those elections, the DA had been on a steady trajectory of growth under Helen Ziller, which is, you know, undeniable fact. Uh, The first time they then started seeing a decline was under your leadership. And you consider that to be a failure in their eyes. What would your thoughts be on that? Yeah. It, it's, it's part of a social issue. I think if you spoke to anyone who was involved in the DA, you would have known that as there's an increase of black membership inside the organization, there'd be certain voters who'd be, who wouldn't want to be a part of that. This is not unique to a political party. It's also true for a school. You know, you talk about these ex-Model C schools. Many of them start off as 100% white and as more black kids come in, it's only a few years that you notice that now suddenly some people leave those schools. Because building diversity is a balancing act between sometimes the hopes of one and the fears of another. It's going to happen. So naturally, you must expect that on the periphery, there are black people who don't want to be in the same space as white people. They're going to leave. There are white people who want to be in the same space as that. They're going to leave. So to me, partly was an investment, the price we needed to pay if we truly needed to anchor the middle ground. No one wants to lose votes, but you have to be deliberate. Uh, let me give you a parallel corporate example. When multi-choice went into the rest of Africa, do the research for yourself. You'll discover very quickly that... I was there. In their investments at the start into Africa, they made losses Mm. because they knew that there was a long-term gain. And therefore, today, they've got those markets. When we were going into certain spaces and we were growing the organization in there, naturally, we needed to make those investments and there were going to be some losses. But I think that had we stuck the course, which is the course I'm sticking to now, we would have won in the long run. Because sometimes... As you saw all over the world, parties that want to do what we're trying to do, even now today, myself, suffered in the rise of populist organizations. We have to get back to not saying just because non-racialism is not rewarded at the ballot box, that it is not an ideal to which we must pursue. Therefore, I'll always stick to that, even whatever the scoreboard looks like, because I think it's that crucial for our country in its entirety. Thank you very much. That is where we're going to leave it. Unfortunately, it's all the time. Kaya Drive with Seaswear, Monday to Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. On Kaya 959.